Greetings to the IAOMS community around the world. This is Deborah Zabladil, and today for the IAOMS podcast series, I'm here with Dr. Fasil Qureshi, and very happy to have you here today, Dr. Qureshi. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me today. You have um, an interesting career, like so many of the other people that we've interviewed, and everyone's career path is a little bit different, so we're going to talk about that, but can you tell us right now what your work entails and where you're practicing and the setting and all of those things? Great. Thanks for having me today. Um, currently, I'm a professor of oral and maxillofacial surgery and the residency program director at the Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I've been the program director since 2002, and it's a program where we take three residents per year. It's a five-year MD integrated track, um, and we graduate three residents every year. Um, my current residents are um, looking forward to fellowship training in the other subspecialties of head and neck oncologic uh, maxillofacial surgery, and another one is going into cleptic uh, uh, craniofacial surgery. I myself trained and fellowship trained in facial cosmetic surgery uh, in Salt Lake City, Utah, under the direction of Dr. Brett Kennedy. I completed uh, dental school at the State University of New York at Buffalo, um, an undergraduate uh, of University of Toronto, Canadian. Mm. Um, so I'm also international as well. Um, and they, they came to Case Western for oral surgery and uh, medical schooling there. Fantastic. So you're doing quite a bit of cosmetic surgery now, is that correct? Yeah, the last 20 years after my fellowship training, I was um, inspired to come back on the faculty to implement uh, facial cosmetic surgical procedures and training for our specialty um, uh, in this arena. And over the last 20 years, I've developed a, a very thriving practice and have lectured both nationally and internationally, as well as written numerous uh, papers and then textbooks, chapters as well. So I would imagine you've seen a really big change or modification of how OMF surgeons are involved in cosmetic surgery over the course of your 20 years. You know, it's interesting um, that there has been a change in terms of more OMSs are doing this because of the uh, basic core surgical skills that we train as oral maxillofacial surgeons in facial trauma, um, soft tissue injuries of the face, and now um, reconstruction of our head and neck cancer patients. We're very familiar with the hard tissue, but now soft tissue skill set um, is something that a lot of the trainees have. And now to expand the scope of the specialty to include aesthetic surgery um, is, is something that's really on the horizon. And we are pushing the limits and the, the boundaries of our scope. And it's, it's wonderful to see my residents and people who I've trained over the last 20 years go out and then use the skills that I've taught them uh, in the aesthetic surgery. So do you see more going into um, a practice that focuses more on, on cosmetic surgery? It's or actually interesting. incorporating it? It's actually interesting because uh, not a lot of folks did a lot of the procedures of aesthetic surgery, and they are bringing that skill set to the, these practices that don't offer it. So they're expanding their practice scope, which is very nice. A lot of uh, my residents have also gone into academic positions where there are programs that didn't have faculty that... Uh, perform cosmetic surgery, so they're really enhancing those programs as well. So I feel very fortunate to have been able to in influence uh, these practitioners. That's fantastic, absolutely. Um, question for you about your career path. So what would you say has been one of the high points of your career? 
So as a um, younger resident um, looking into what career choices I would have after graduating, I was very much inspired um, to go into academic uh, practice, academic institutional medicine dentistry. And actually Dr. Dr. Ghali, um, uh, Chancellor, Chairman at Louisiana Shreveport Medical Center, uh, was one of my first influences and mentors now as I've gone 20 years, he's guided me along the way um, to have come back into academics and, um, and now nationally uh, lecturing and teaching. Uh, so I really am very thankful and grateful for people like him who come into my life uh, to influence my, my decision to stay in academia and, uh, and, and, you know, and become a program director. So it's uh, uh, people like Dr. Ghali, there, there are many others in, in my local area, Dr. Jerry Goldberg, Dr. Michael Hauser, or, or local directors and, uh, where I trained uh, have influenced me and, and who I've become today. Um, the biggest challenge I would say for me is um, uh, trying to start a cosmetic surgical practice at an institution um, where you have a lot of other competing specialties and to come back with, with great skills and, and, um, and great experiences and to also convince my colleagues, my surgical colleagues, that we are also one of them, and we can play in the same sandbox. And that was the biggest, the big challenge. But 20 years, fast forward, I'm very happy to say that I've been extremely well accepted in my community, in my surgical community, not only the dental community, but the surgical community that have um, looked at looked at us as one of them and acknowledge our our skill set, our training. Do you think that? Um other OMF surgeons around the world are still fighting that battle in, in the larger surgical community? Is that something you see? As I've expanded my uh, interest internationally, I've spoken to a lot of colleagues around the world who have the same challenges and are fighting the same battles that we have fought at our local level. And even within the United States, we have different pockets that, uh, that uh, treat us differently, I will say. And um, as much as I can do to help guide them, the individual and the institution, uh, I'm here to help, but obviously it's, you know, it's a, it's a local battle, and it's very difficult. Uh, but if there's a concurrent trend and a change and a, hopefully a paradigm, paradigm switch, um, I, I think you know, if we continue to push the envelope rather than sit back and and um, not do anything about it, we need to be proactive. Okay, um, you mentioned that Dr. Golly is a mentor of yours. What do you think? You know, most of us meet so many people throughout the course of our career. What makes someone a mentor? What do you think is, is the secret sauce that makes that relationship different, whereby you want that person as a mentor or they want to take you on as a mentee? I think sometimes, and I look at myself as a mentor to other, my younger residents as well, so I will look at it from two different vantage points as an educator as well. Um, I, when I look at uh, an individual who is showing motivation, showing the passion that I share, I think that helps to helps to create that relationship. So there's got to be a commonality of interests, of goals, aspirations, philosophies. All those, I think, not everyone can be a good mentee, and but there's got to be a, these variables that I just mentioned have to be consistent with my thoughts in order for me to then coach them mm -hmm. and nurture them or myself be coached. And I, I feel that, you know, I can't speak for Dr. Golly why he took me on as a mentee, 
but I think that would be something that I would consider to be to mentor somebody uh, who would share the same core values that I do and who want to move the specialty forward. Um, if they don't share those values, then it's hard to then you know give my energy and my effort to something to someone that may not take you know carry that torch forward. Sure. So I, I think that I. I felt that. I felt that. I, I think I feel I have the same core values um, that Dr. Gali shares. Uh, obviously, being friends for 20 years, we then sort of had the same mindset. Um, and I look up to him. I looked up to him because he has. He's a very forward thinker. Uh, look at the specialty um, in the future rather than in the present, and that's really something that I would like to continue to aspire to be. So when you uh, when you teach, um, and, and I know you lecture quite a bit around the country and around the world now, um, are you talking about some of those softer skills about you know character and values, et cetera, as a surgeon? I, I, that's a great question. Um, you know, most of our lecture content is mostly surgically related, technique related, and then the the pearls and the wisdoms related to the surgical aspects. But you bring up a very good point. And as I look at my completing two decades of practice and lecturing, entering my third decade now next year, I think that's a great uh, great piece of advice actually. And I think that will, I'll definitely start doing that. And mentoring in my lectures, I, I guess, it was a good way to, to put it, that uh, things that you can't really teach, um, and it's very hard to teach those soft skills uh, yes. in a lecture format. Yes. And it's only by, you know, by being around individuals and people and meeting them, and I, and I see a lot of my re recurring, even like lecturers, see them coming back to hearing me every year, mm -hmm. and which is nice, because kind of a little following. And I see them in my workshops, and we just had a cadaver workshop yesterday at the, at, at the AOMS, and it was well received. And I see those people coming back every year, um, because I'm continuing to learn. And uh, it's, it's nice to have you know, students that are not in my program, but are, uh, you know, are in, the, in the private sector. You just said continuing to learn, and that's such a good lesson for all of us that we should always be continuing to learn. How do you access new knowledge? How, how do you find yourself learning? So um, I try to surround myself with people that are ahead of me. Um, I think you can only be better by, uh, by, by surrounding yourself with people that, who I respect and I look up to. I may not know them today, but I will make my, make, you know, make every, uh, opportunity available to make myself uh, in front of them um, and you know might sound a little OCD but if, if there's someone that has a skill set that I'd like to acquire to learn from I will I will try to make every effort to, to put myself in front of them um, so I you know I'm, I'm constantly looking at uh, social media has been great um, uh, in, in sharing knowledge and there are a lot of surgeons outside of the OMS community in the aesthetic world uh, both you know in the oculoplastic and the general cosmetic arenas, plastic surgery arenas that I follow and we've become friends. We've lectured on the same uh, platforms and various other uh, other associations, and that's that's how you learn. You, you talk about your experiences and you share uh, the complications, and you learn that, that way. And that's also I mean obviously from a surgical standpoint, but in terms of uh, learning how to be a good educator, I look at the educators uh, ahead of me in life. And like people like Dr. Gali and uh, Dr. Roser is another one uh, that is a, an excellent educator. I look at him and, and try to sponge off these individuals. Great.
Thank you. Um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, what advice would you give? We're going to have people listening from around the world and in various stages of their career. So we'll have some folks that will be early careerists that will be, um, you know, in residency or um, just early in their practice. What advice would you give someone young in their career? Are we, are we talking about um, practice advice or uh, just life advice? Either or. Either or. Well, first of all, I would tell um, our younger listeners uh, to be the best oral and maxillofacial surgeon that they could possibly be. Learn the core of the specialty really, really well. We're already in the top percentile of a dental class that enters uh, a specialty program. So to my own residents, I tell them, be the best that you can be in your, in your specialty. Now, if you want to take it to the next level and be an even more small percentile to be fellowship trained, then go after that. Reach for the stars. Don't settle for a second best, third best, for average. Um, push yourself to what you can, you know, you can tolerate, obviously. Um, push yourself to, to be the best you can be. And if that, if that then pushes you in the pathway of being a fellowship trained individual, then the next step is to be an academician. Uh, and then the next step is to, to be on the lecture circuit and, and to continue to be in that pyramid of life that you are trying to always reach for, the, for that summit. And we may never reach it at the end of our lives, but we'll, we'll, get, we'll give every effort to get there. And so, you know, I would tell all the, the young listeners to, to not to, uh, have their dreams sort of ending at the end of residency. It's beyond that. And then to go and impart that knowledge to others locally, nationally, internationally, globally. Um, I think, uh, you know, looking at my career over the last 20 years, I never would have thought that I'd be sitting today uh, talking to the international community uh, of what I've done and who I am and where I want to go. And it's not over. I, you know, I, I, I hope, to see, hope to do bigger and better things and get more involved uh, with, with IAOMS. And I have been lecturing for ICOMS. Um, you know, uh, so I, I, I want the I want our younger younger students, younger listeners to just to, to to strive to be the best they can be. That's great advice. Um, in one final question for you, since you are an IAOMS member and since you have been involved in ICOMS, what does being involved in a global community mean to you? How has it enriched your life? How has it enriched your practice? You know, just to, just to talk with individuals um, of various parts of the world, some in, uh, you know, in underprivileged countries, um, it gives me just a perspective of uh, being thankful for what I have currently, where I am, to share my knowledge with them and vice versa, learn from them because they're, they're doing things that I may not be doing. Um, we do things differently. But the end goal is that we all treat patients and it's nice to know that there are other people like me who are uh, striving to, to do good, good things and help humanity. Um, to be in that same space is really comforting. Uh, we're not alone in the world. The world is very small, as large as it may be. But and to be around people like me just feels very good. And again, I just want to surround myself with people, not just locally, but internationally now. And it's, it's, it's a great feeling. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Uh, Qureshi. We will 
uh, be following your career and your success into the future. And um, with that, I would like to close out our uh, podcast today. Again, thank you for your time, your wisdom, and your thoughts. This is Deborah Zabladil signing off for the IAOMS podcast series. Thank you once again for listening to the IAOMS podcast series. IAOMS members receive additional benefits such as access to the IJOMS, educational resources, reduced rates for conferences, and more. To join or renew your membership, please visit www.iaoms.org. Keep up to date with our weekly podcast by following IAOMS on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest news. See you next week.